evening, Aaron of Troy, and welcome to another episode of Sound Off Leadership Lessons with the AOT. Our mission here is to inspire and develop future leaders of the Air Force and beyond. I'm Cadet Cosmicella. I'm Cadet Wynn. I'm Cadet Troy. And today's guest is Colonel Becky Beers. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you for, for inviting me. I'm pretty honored and stoked to be doing something for Dent 060, my alma mater at USC. It's an honor also that you chose me because I remember thinking as a cadet, why are we talking or why is this really old person talking to us? Um, I prefer to have a like a lieutenant or a captain, someone that was in ROTC not that long ago. So uh, keeping that in mind, I'll try not to sound too old. So please do not tell me how old you are, okay? We're we're not going to go there. (laughs) All right, ma'am, we will not go there. First off, I wanted to ask, where are you from? Did you grow up close to USC? That's right. So I'm from Los Angeles, California. I was born at... LAC USC Medical Center. That's what it was called at the time. So I like to say that I was always destined to go to USC, having been born there. Also, I was delivered by a student. So, you know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so I am from just south of downtown, technically East LA, if that can give you an idea of where, uh, where I grew up. So I know through Air Force, you've been all over the country. How has it been being back in LA? So it's pretty awesome to be here at uh, Los Angeles Air Force Base because this is where I bought my commissioning uniform because it's the closest base to, to USC. I have a picture of, of me and another cadet here on the parade field. We had had a, a sports day with USC, UCLA, and LMU. And I still have this picture. And I think it's pretty neat because the, the person with the other cadet is Colonel Liz Aptekar. She is the public affairs officer at LA Air Force Base right now. We've never been stationed together. And now we're both here as O6s. I told her we have to recreate that picture just so, because I could tell exactly where it is. It's pretty neat. And that's now my front yard is that parade field. Oh, that's pretty neat. So what led you to join RTC in the first place? So I love this story, by the way. Um, I went to Sacred Heart of Jesus High School. It's an all-girls Catholic school. Had no idea about ROTC or junior ROTC, any of that. I didn't really know anything about the military. I just knew of people that had gone in the military. And then, like, I never saw them again. So I was at a college fair at PCC, there was a female second lieutenant who kind of caught my eye and, and she called me over to her booth and she said, oh, you know, I have you ever thought about joining the Air Force? Here's an application, you know, for a scholarship. And I you know I just took the the application with all the rest of my college applications and they all kind of wanted the same thing in terms of uh, references and essays and all that. So I just filled it out. And I actually had my scholarship interview at USC, but I really did it for the scholarship. That's how I ended up my first day of ROTC was uh, I was offered a scholarship. 
I definitely understand that. I got here because of the same reason. Are there any experiences from RFCC that you feel really shaped you throughout the program? A bit about my very first day of ROTC. It was our PT test. It was welcome. <laughs> you will now do a PT test. And I'm going to describe it because I'm sure it's changed quite a bit, but we had a, a flexed arm hang, right? So you had to you know, come up on the, the pull-up bars and you had to hold on for at least nine seconds. And you got points based on how long you were able to hold on. But I knew nine seconds and that, that's what I got. And then we did push-ups, sit-ups, a, a standing long jump, and ended with a 600-meter sprint, so a lap and a half. And then you came the next day to do the mile and a half. So I have to tell you that I had never run a mile and a half in my life up until this point. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, eh, you know, we'll just run. I completely credit it to being very young and confident. I don't know why. But like after that first lap, I had a really hard time keeping up. And, and uh, the major who had done my interview, he started yelling at me, you know, like, I recommended you for this scholarship. You better not make me look bad. Like, you better keep running. So that worked for a couple of laps. And uh, so now I'm halfway through and, you know, the last three are, are the worst. And at that point, his yelling wasn't working anymore. I was like, I, I don't care. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to quit. But one of the incoming seniors, then he started running with me. So for my last three laps, and he was more of the, come on, you could do it. Just stay with me. We'll slow down. And then I finished and I was, I passed. And then the senior had to do his mile and a half. So he did three laps and then he went to do his six laps. And I clearly remember that he missed getting like the max points. Like just, it was like, he had to get it in under nine minutes or right around nine minutes. And he missed it by like five seconds. And uh, I felt terrible that because he, he ran extra with me that uh, he didn't get, you know, the goal. Tell you this because as the introduction to ROTC, that that there were people in this organization that wanted me to, to succeed. Like they were going to go out there and they were going to run with me. That to me was kind of the first like hook, right? Like, hmm, I'm going to, I'm going to keep coming back and, and see, see where this goes. And then ROTC became my crew. Those were my friends. Those were my people. <laughs> and after uh, my first semester, I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. Unfortunately, I did a lot of other things during my, my first semester in college, and I ended up on academic probation. I was the first person in my family to go to college. I was this, you know, this Mexican girl where we speak Spanish at home, never really had uh, any help with homework or anything, just kind of had to figure out on my own. So I, I was not prepared for that first taste of freedom uh, that going to college really provides. I realized that no one actually cares if you go to class, <laughs> that the people are getting paid anyway. And the only ones that really did care was ROTC. Like they, they know if you don't go to class. So I, I made all of those. And I chose electrical engineering. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> At the end of my first semester, 
I'm on academic probation. I have to go see an academic counselor. I no longer have a scholarship. Thankfully, it was a three-year scholarship. So my freshman year wasn't dependent on that scholarship, but man, I, ha I had to rethink my priorities and my, what I wanted to do academically. And the only thing I knew for sure was that I wanted to be in the Air Force because of the experience I had with my fellow cadets, with, with the course. So I went to the book. Uh, it had a list of courses that you had to take to be part of, or, you know, to get that AFSC. So I looked at everything that was not engineering or technical, <laughs> and I found this thing called Intel, intelligence officer. And I was like, hmm, that sounds like a spy. I could do that. And then once I chose what I wanted to do in the Air Force, then I went to the academic advisor and looked at what field of study I could do. And at USC, it's one of the few schools that actually separates international relations from political science. So they have a school of international relations. And that sounds like it would be good for an intel officer. So that's what I'm going to do. Thankfully, that worked out for me in terms of that I really enjoyed those classes. And yeah. Oh, wow. Losing your scholarship and getting put on academic probation, I imagine, must have had some large effect on you. How did that affect the way you approached ROTC or even just school? Yeah, that was that was pretty devastating. All of my schooling through high school, it seemed like everything just came easy to me. I never really had to work at doing well in school. It just, I, I could remember things, you know, you, I could cram for a test. I could do that kind of stuff. And, and college was just such a different, it was just so different. I, I didn't understand that you actually had to do the homework. Like, I didn't understand why no one was actually checking it. You know, like you weren't getting points for doing your homework. My grade was midterm and final and, and that was it. And unfortunately I, I waited way too long to get help. Like I said, especially with the, uh, with the double E stuff. So I'd never failed anything in my life. And that alone could have been, could have had some, some really bad consequences just in, in general, because I, I didn't really know how to, how to deal with that. But talking to the, the academic counselor, they had a really, yeah, they had a really good, no nonsense kind of approach. Like, this is how well you have to do next semester in order to, to come out of academic probation. They weren't saying like you had to get straight A's or anything. They're like, okay, let's look at your, what classes you're, you're looking to take. How do you think you'll do? We, we went through the, the roster. Uh, they helped me with the you don't have to decide your entire life today, even though I ended up doing that. But I remember the counselor being very sympathetic, being very like, okay. And again, very pragmatic. Like, this is where you are. What can we do? What plan can we build to get you out of this? Really, my emotional support was my friends that were all in ROTC. So yeah, it really comes down to group of, you know, USC 
personnel and the ROTC cadre, it always seemed to me that they were always in my corner. They really wanted me there. Just knowing that you have people in your corner really means a lot. Like it, it actually, it meant everything to me. After the break, we'll be discussing more about career and leadership. back listeners we'll be picking up the conversation as we lean into colonel beers's career so earlier you said you were planning to become an intel officer did you end up being assigned into cyberspace operations or how did that happen so when i put in i was an intel officer and i want to go to washington dc because i feel like i'll spy to live so that's that's what i dream sheet and then i put everything else. So I put Intel at that time, personnel and manpower were two different AFSCs. So I I listed those out. I listed everything not to have to do anything technical. So my PAS called me, it was 06 at the time. And he said, congratulations, you're going to be a communications officer and you're going to Washington, DC. And I was like, "Mm, nope, I think you have that wrong because because I specifically looked at that and that said you needed like some technical stuff in order to be qualified. And he said, I guess from your freshman year, you had just enough credits of uh, engineering and math to get this assignment. So it's like, hmm. but that's not Intel at all. <laughs> and off I went to be a comm officer at Bowling Force Base in uh, Washington, D.C. What was that experience like as a comm officer? So when I was a cadet and we'd come to LA Air Force Base, I think came a couple of times like to get uniform items. I remember like the seniors telling us, you know, that's just not a real Air Force Base because there's no planes or no, you know, it's like a, it's in the industrial area. So I was like, okay, I, I was ready to see a real Air Force Base. And my first assignment being at bowling, when I got to bowling, some people would say, eh, you know, this is not like a real Air Force base because there, there are no planes, there's no missiles, there's, there's none of that. Uh, the ops group at that time consisted of the Air Force Band and the Air Force Honor Guard. I was like, okay, at, at some point I will see this mythical Air Force base. From there, I went to the Defense Language Institute in Monterey. That's at the Presidio of Monterey, which is an army post, not an Air Force base at all. So now I'm thinking there there really is no such thing as this Air Force base. I was here in my sixth year. So in Monterey, my chain of command was all intel because in Monterey, they teach airmen to be linguists and then they send them to Goodfellow where they learn the cryptologic portion of their job. So in Monterey, they learn strictly language skills, but they, they're part of the Intel career field. So my squadron commander, my group commander, we were out of the GSU of Goodfellows. So everyone was Intel. My squadron commander at the time, he said, uh, you're a four-year captain. You should get your master's degree and you should figure out a way for the Air Force to pay for it. 
And oh, by the way, here is an application for the Joint Military Intelligence College that, that you can apply for. So I applied and I, I was selected to, to go to school. At the time, it was physically located at the Defense and Intelligence Agency at Bowling Air Force Base. So I, after three years, I went back to Bowling for a year to get a master's degree in strategic intel as a comm officer, which I think is, to me, poetic because all I wanted to do was, was to be an intel officer. And the Air Force said, no. The Air Force said, thank you for your interest. Well, this is what you're actually going to do. And as a comm officer, I, you know, I was in the comm squadron. I was in charge of the help desk. And then I was in charge of visual information at the time, graphics and art, all of that was part of the comm squadron that's now part of public affairs. It turns out I did not need a whole lot of technical expertise, just enough to make sure that my airmen weren't BSing me. <laughs> so I had that. But then I had the opportunity to, to get this Intel degree, and that opened up a whole different set of opportunities for me. So I, I've been very lucky in my career that I haven't, I haven't had a quote unquote traditional track, but I've been able to cross into some Intel stuff and our AFSC redesignated. I am now a cyberspace operations officer. I got to, after getting my degree, I got to go to Nellis Air Force Base. So I like crossing the country for every other assignment. At Nellis, I got to work at that time was information operations. We've come full circle because then it was computer network operations. And now I think we're finally back to information operations. Uh, so information operations in Red Flag, which is the Air Force's premier training events for, for flight sortie. So units that are getting ready to deploy. This is where they bring their most inexperienced pilots to make sure they get their, their first 10 sorties in a, you know, a combat scenario. And uh, I was able to, to be a part of the, the little detachment where, again, our job was to, to work with the Air Operations Center training piece and with the pilots on, we would plan influence operations and that was the coolest thing probably that I've ever done. So finally, seven years into my career, I got to be at a real Air Force base with, and every red flag is a, it's really an air show because all these different airframes come to be a part of, a part of that. Because of all that, I've learned that every Air Force base is a real Air Force base because Every mission set is vital to the success of, of our Air Force. Our honor guard and our band, they really are the face of the military, maybe not just the Air Force, to the public. All of the ceremonies, all of the, the community outreach, they are sharp. They are really the best at, at what they do. So I was at Nellis, and then from there, I got selected to be a detachment commander at NSA. So at that point, it was now my intel background with my academic 
schooling and the information operations piece and my comm background. I got my first leadership position as a commander and it was nice to be able to have kind of a smaller unit to begin with and kind of flex my my leadership skills. Um, so now we're gonna move more towards the career and general leadership questions. So earlier you gave a, a pretty good synopsis of your career from commissioning as a second lieutenant and now um, at LA Air Force Base. So can you describe to us what a day in a life is like being a base mm -hmm. commander at LA Air Force Base? So it is amazing, I have to tell you, because I've never had aspirations to be an installation commander. My goal was always to be a squadron commander. That was, as a cadet, that to me is the pinnacle of leadership, is the squadron command. Uh, and I've been lucky to be able to do that twice as a comm squadron commander at Maxwell. And then I got to be the first squadron commander of the 75th Intelligence Squadron, which was a cyber intel unit. So that's where my intel and comm cyber kind of really came together. So having done that, <laughs> so I was very happy to, to that be, to be it and do my 20 years. I did not have aspirations to be an 06 and I count myself honored and blessed to be able to, to do that. So making 06, I'm like, okay, now I can be a group commander. All right. <laughs> That's got to be like even better than a squadron commander. Because at that point, as a group commander, my job is really more to, to mentor the squadron commanders. Because it's at the squadron level that you really do the things, right? You are in your people's business. You are, you actually produce widgets, <laughs> But as a group commander, you're able to bring this experience with you and you're able to coach and, and mentor the squadron commanders. This unit is very unique in terms of it is a group command, but there's no wing here at LA. So it goes right from the group to the three-star uh, Space and Missile Systems Center Commander, soon to be the uh, Space Systems Command under Space Force. It's really cool. <laughs> I am an Air Force officer in the Space Force. So my day-to-day, -day, I have lots of meetings, lots of meetings. <laughs> you would think that teleworking, that would be a little less, but no, lots of meetings. So I'm also the installation commander. So I'm, kind of, I'm the face of LA Air Force Base, <laughs> which still boggles my mind. <laughs> I can't believe I'm here. It, so I get asked to do little interviews or talks. I get to do a lot of recognition things. We had a ceremony for our volunteers. I get to do all the promotion ceremonies. Like this is the best part of my job. And then the worst is doing the uh, non-judicial punishment. So let's see, what else do I do? I do lots of paperwork. So in the, at the installation level, I have a medical squadron. I don't know anything about medical. <laughs> And I've always been in the MSG or the ops group. I've never even thought about the medical folks. And now they're my biggest squadron in the group. The group is their commanders in 06. So yeah, so I have to deal with a lot of issues. I have a growing list of things I never thought I would have to deal with. I have base housing. So when 
residents or neighbors can't get along, somehow it comes to me. I have to worry about security forces and the security of our base and making sure that we have enough officers to respond, to do entry control. I consider myself kind of the mayor of the town. We have all the infrastructure, like the communication squadron, so all the IT staff, all the civil engineering and logistics, so the maintenance of all the facilities, of the grounds. So it's pretty expansive, the things that I could touch at any given day. But thankfully, I have, a, I have an awesome group of folks that actually, again, do the things, do the widgets, and come to me for, I am their, their top cover. If they need resources, that's where I get involved. All right, that's awesome. Um, so how has leading airmen uh, changed since starting as a second lieutenant to now as a colonel? I remember airmen seeing movies on the computer that weren't out yet. I don't know how they did it. I don't think it was necessarily illegal at the time, <laughs> but uh, it was definitely frowned upon. It's funny because people, well, some young people, are dumb and it doesn't matter <laughs> what a year it is and it's funny because those are the folks that stick out like you know in, in your mind on the help desk I had an airman who who could not go to bed early or before three o'clock in the morning so for him to get to work at seven could not do it four times out of five couldn't get the concept of going to bed before three o'clock in the morning. Cause he's like, I have multiple alarms and you could just sleep through anything. On the other hand, um, really the big things that have changed uh, is technology. We didn't have cell phones when I graduated from USC. <laughs> and now we have you know, smartphones that are, are way more capable than the computers in the computer lab that I used. Social media obviously has exploded making airmen understand that what they do online really could have an effect in the real world. It could have real consequences. But other than that, I think leadership throughout the years has remained kind of, there's a specific phrase that my chief uses that I absolutely love. I think it goes something like, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That has been the same regardless of you know the the year or the place if people don't know that you care about them then they're not going to follow you i can't see following somebody blindly if they're just not good people i mean not uh, if they don't care anything about me people will respect the rank but that is totally different than than respecting you as a leader i'm a big big believer in people first, meaning take care of them and their families. And most often than not, people will do the right thing and, and do what they're supposed to do for you. So communication, caring, those are kind of the big things that, that I think transcend time. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure over the course of your career, you've worked with and encountered many different kinds of leaders. So my next question is, in your opinion, what are some of the best characteristics or traits that you think a good leader should have? Well, first, let me tell you about my very first commander. He's a lieutenant colonel. 
She was in the very first class of Academy Cadets, the first graduating class that had females in it. I remember looking at her and thinking, oh, I hope I'm not a disappointment to her in terms of like all of the crap that she went through to get through the academy and, and then like looking at me and saying, this is the type of lieutenant, female lieutenants we get nowadays. I've always been a super girly girl and especially back then, very sensitive. And she just, she seemed so tough and I, I was very intimidated, but she never said anything to that effect. It, it was just my perception of, of how she saw me. And at our squadron picnic, surprise, six months after I got there, I saw her with her a four-year-old and a six-year-old. It was just a mom. And I saw her in a completely different light in terms of, I saw kind of that other side of her. And I saw a very successful Air Force female officer, squadron commander who had little boys. And so to me, gosh, representation matters so much because I could see myself in in terms of wow a female and a mom and a wife and an officer and a commander and all of these things and at that point I knew it was possible I don't think I ever told her that like how what an impact that had on me because I was going to go in I was going to do my four years and and get out and uh and do whatever it is that I was going to do I wasn't sure at the time anyway so I'm going to go back to caring because that's been one of my tenets, one of my pillars. I think it really resonates with folks when you show that you care. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be a perfect unit, but folks knowing that you've got their back really, I think, brings out the, the good in people, brings out kind of their best. And some people don't, aren't like that. I always think you need to be true to yourself. I could never be a hard ass. That's just not my, that's not my style. And there were a lot of times like going into a new position that I thought about, maybe that's the type of person I I need to be in this organization. And people know when you're not being genuine. So so don't be fake, (laughs) trust in, in yourself. And, and do what you can to continue learning. Like leadership is not a, once you got it, you can't ever lose it or, or whatever. Like it, it's not a destination. It should be always evolving and you should be learning every time you, you do something. I continue to, to try to learn and, and be better. And with, I learned from the folks that I've worked with and that I've worked for being honest with yourself and others, having a lot of internal self-awareness, doing what you're really good at and being honest with yourself on, on the things that you need to work on. Following through, that's probably the, my, my last one. So again, coming from the perspective of, of caring for people, if you say you're going to do something, have to follow through and do it because otherwise once you lose credibility there's not a lot you can do to kind of to win that back and then you've lost um you've lost folks again you've lost their respect 
I just want to say those are really great characteristics. I um, definitely will look out for those just in myself and other people. Um, I have one question for you, and that's um, what should we do as cadets um, that can further our leadership skills and prepare us to take mission? So we need to take opportunities. Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to compete with you folks. I was not a good cadet in terms of my freshman year. Goodness, I was so shy. I could not stand in front of people and, and talk without feeling sick to my stomach. So at the time, the, the 200s helped the 100s right in their training. And we had an assignment uh, we had to report in. And the night before, I went to one of my neighbors. He was a 200. I was like, I, I can't do it. The, the whole like the spotlight on me, I can't. And he said, you can and you will. So in his apartment, he's like, knock on the door and you know, come in and do your report, reporting statement. And I knock, and I'd see him and I'd start laughing from like nerves. I'd tear up and he's like, nope, do it again, do it again, again. <laughs> I swear, I don't know how many times we did that that night, but the next day I knocked on the door, I marched in, I saluted, I gave my reporting statement. Oh, it was beautiful, <laughs> but it was, Again, it was so far outside of my comfort zone. So I would recommend whatever it is that you're being asked to do, if you're uncomfortable, just practice and do it. And then if you're one of the lucky folks that is very confident and you can do anything, <laughs> please, please reach out to the folks that you know are struggling. And you could see it, like you guys all know each other. You know your strengths and weaknesses. I could not braid my hair to save my life. There was a cadet that we'd show up to class way early so she could French braid my hair <laughs> so I could wear my uniform. This is your chance. This is your chance to make mistakes, stumble, and learn. from it. This is the best safe space that you're going to be in in your entire career. As a lieutenant, you get uh, some leeway, but you now fall under the UCMJ. So get as much practice is in as you can. That is my biggest advice to the cadet. Whatever it is, whatever somebody is asking for, volunteer, and then you guys can figure it out. Like you, even if you don't know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Do you guys still do skidum? Like you have the drill meet? No. Yes, we did it up until last year, but it is now being discontinued. Like forever? Yes, ma'am. <gasps> oh, why? That makes me so sad. Like there was like $10,000. It was like thousands and thousands of dollars that you had to manage and put together. That is a real world thing in terms of putting on an air show. Who do I need to talk to? <laughs> She got the opportunity to put it together. That was our very last one. And I could definitely understand like how much work it takes to like put on a big operation like that. And that was one of the positions as a POC that I felt super uncomfortable with. So I just sort of volunteered for it and embraced it and definitely learned a lot. Oh man, I'm so bummed about that. <laughs> okay, 
Yeah. So my advice is volunteering, volunteer, volunteer for everything. You'll get chose for, chosen for some of the things and do your best and learn as you make mistakes. Learn, learn. All right. Thank you so much for that advice, ma'am. Um, to finish off the interview, we have one more question. So if you could leave the cadets with a life advice or a last final challenge, what would that be? I think we've talked a little bit about it. I'm going to leave the, the challenge of doing something specifically at, at USC. <laughs> Find something that you're just not comfortable doing for whatever reason, whether that's giving a brief or marching people, you know, as you get ready for field training, maybe it's physical fitness, you know, whatever your, the thing that you're weakest at, I challenge you to take something on, something that you're weak at and see how you do. I think a lot of times we're our harshest critics, we're our own harshest critics, and maybe that keeps us from doing something that we could really be good at. If it turns out it's still not your, you're not able to make it a strength. At least you did it. And now you have the knowledge that you can do it. I challenge you to be a little uncomfortable. Thank you so much for that challenge. We will definitely keep that in mind as we move forward in our training. Thank you, Colonel Becky Beers, for sharing your experiences and advice with all of us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of Sound Off Leadership Lessons with the Airmen of Troy. Our music today was mixed by Cadet Rohit Menon. You can check out the AOT on our YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, airmanoftroy.org. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Colonel Becky Beers as much as we did. And remember, sound off and fight on. Fight on.